Welcome to the Parents Place podcast with Hillary and Jen. Welcome to the Parents Place podcast. We are excited to have you today. I have a um, guest host. Hello. <laughs> My name is Alyssa, so I'm actually one of the background workers of the podcast, but I am filling in for Jen because her voice is non-existent. Is officially gone at the moment. <laughs> yes, Alyssa runs the show, runs all the behind-the-scenes stuff that Jen and I don't know how to do. <laughs> and we're really grateful for her and all that she does, but Jen and I were just in the process of recording a previous podcast where she could not speak midway through, so... <laughs> We're so glad for the fill-in. You get me. Hopefully <laughs> I don't laugh too loud. <laughs> but yes, thank you, Alyssa, for being here. And we have another guest with us as well today, too. So Kyle Hickman is joining us today. So glad that you're here, Kyle. You. Yeah, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, originally, well, I originally grew up in Oklahoma. moved here to Cache Valley about 25 years ago. Um, so I kind of say I'm a native here. Um, I went to school at Skyview and, and attended Utah State, where I earned my bachelor's degree in social work and attended Utah State as well for my master's in social work. And I currently work at Aura Counseling at their north office over by the North Walmart. Nice. Okay. Well, first of all, congratulations on Skyview. I approve of that. <laughs> and clearly Utah State, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Go on, right? So, no good bias. choices. No good bias. choices. No <laughs> <laughs> um, so, tell us a little bit about Aura Counseling for those that may be unfamiliar with the agency. Um, so, we just expanded. Um, they've been open in the Valley for a few years, um, for quite a few years, I guess. Um, Originally, it, it was a facility called Synergy Counseling. Oh, okay. um, they, they did a lot of stuff with um, kids in the foster care. And, uh-huh. um, just kind of expanded from there. Okay. Um, they just expanded to this north office, um, and I started there at the beginning of June. Um, there's a lot, like the atmosphere is really great. They're, they have a lot of diversity as far as therapists go. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just, it's an amazing, amazing atmosphere to work in. Now, for those that aren't local, because we do have a lot of individuals, mm-hmm. our audience is, is for lo- is our local individuals, but for those outside of Utah in the area, can you provide some of your services virtually, or do you tend to just do in-person? Uh, we do have some that do telehealth. I personally like to at least start uh, in-person to help build that relationship, uh-huh. um, but am open to doing telehealth, okay. um, especially after the relationship's built. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are, there are other therapists there that provide telehealth. Okay. Do you specialize in a particular type of therapy? Um, yes and no. Um, I, I mean, I, I like to think that I specialize in substance use and trauma, um, as well as, uh, a trauma modality called brain spotting. Um, it's, it's not as well recognized as EMDR and ERT and stuff, but, um, it's a very intense, uh, trauma modality that kind of triggers you into fight or flight and it okay. helps reduce um, symptoms of trauma fairly quickly with, mm-hmm. I mean can be within anywhere from like two to ten sessions Wow yeah okay yeah. Interesting. Um, so we strategically have you here yeah. <laughs> for a reason on this particular week <laughs> and for our audience that has listened and listens regularly we know that we have been 
talking about substance abuse prevention, given that it is Abuse Prevention Month. Yep, October is Substance Abuse Awareness Month. So we want to make our audience aware of um, of all things involved in substance abuse, what warning signs, what to avoid, what to watch out for, how to help a loved one, or even yourself involved in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously we're excited to have you here so that you can provide that uh, cl- clinician mindset as well too yeah. as to mm-hmm. how to best um, help an individual get the support that they need. So let's start at the beginning with like substance abuse 101. 101. <laughs> if you will. All right. So we know that many people, I mean, so well, let's start here. This is a simple question. When we talk about a substance, w- w- what are some of those things included? Um, in reality, it when I think of substance use and a substance, I, I think of anything that's a mind-altering substance, okay. a mood-altering okay. substance. That could be inhalants, that could be even prescription medications, like uh-huh. if we're abusing them. Uh-huh. Um, even even getting to the point where they become a little too dependent on them. Okay, okay. So uh, I, we think of someone who's prescribed painkillers or even in an anti-anxiety medication mm. and um, taking a little bit too more often than they need to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's a mind-altering substance that, well, I mean, alters your mind and your mood. Yeah. yeah. And when when do we know that that's gotten to the case? That's a difficult question. Um, I think from, from my experience is that it depends on what... When we think of addiction, a lot of the times people are trying to escape something. Uh-huh. Whether it's some kind of trauma, whether mm-hmm. it's some kind of undesirable emotion or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's an, a one-time thing, like it might not be as easily uh, recognizable, whereas like this pattern starts to continue. Mm-hmm. So if, if someone out there is wondering if they have an addiction or if someone is a, a loved one of someone who might be questioning that, is like, yeah. why? Why are they using what they're using yeah. and how often are they using it? So the DSM kind of states that even an addiction could be someone who's drinking three to four beers a day, which doesn't seem like yeah. a lot, mm-hmm. but if it's a continuously everyday thing, then that's considered like a diagnosable addiction, like a um, alcohol abuse disorder. Okay. Does it have to like impact their life in a certain way to make that diagnosis or is it just... Not, like no, not necessarily because okay. there's different severities. There's, there's mild, there's moderate and severe. Okay. So mild might be that three to four beers a day, whereas okay. severe is like drinking a fifth a day. And it just depends on how many, um, how many criteria it meets. Okay. So any, if there's, I think there's like nine to 10 criteria, mm-hmm. if it meets five or six and mm-hmm. it's considered like a severe, okay. um, diagnosis, but in my experience, like I said, is that if, if you're running for something, then that's kind of when we start to to question things. Mm-hmm. Like I look at my own, like I'm in recovery myself, and I look at my own um, my own addiction and the journey through that is that I suffered traumas early on in my own life. And not recognizing that, I wasn't educated enough on it. Uh, I started using when I was 16, and my first trauma was the loss of my father around the age mm-hmm. of 12. Um so eventually, like, I, I, I find this substance and I keep continuing to escape from it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And trauma after trauma after trauma keeps happening. So I keep trying to escape from that trauma for the next 14 years of my life. Okay. okay. So I'm thinking of an individual that we recently spoke with. And when he was sharing his story, um, 
he talked about how initially it, it was a social thing. Yeah. I mean, that that's what they do on the weekends, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's... There wasn't ever a question of what are we going to do. It was always we're going to go drink. And so I'm thinking of a lot of these these social drinkers that, that may or may not be drinking during the week or maybe have a glass of wine at the end of the day. What's different? I mean, where, is an individual that's a social drinker, is that a problem? Or when would that become a problem? I mean, in a sense, it could be a problem. Like, are you are you... When you're socially drinking, like, what are you doing? Are you just having a couple drinks? Or when you go out to socially drink on a weekend, like, are you are you celebrating something? Are you trying to escape from, okay. like, stressors from work or something like that? And you have five too many drinks. Okay. okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, it, it just kind of depends on that. Because you would classify some of that into, like, a, a substance use disorder, mm-hmm. too, depending on, like, why. Mm-hmm. Like, am I, am I out there... Did I find out my wife, well, maybe not my wife was cheating on me, that might be an extreme one, but like, did I just lose a promotion at work, so I go out and I drink my sorrows away. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Like So there, there could be a lot of different reasons, but right, you're like, it's a progressive disease, and again, like I look at it through my own, as I never, I never just dove into an addiction. Mm-hmm. Like it was originally, I started drinking and smoking weed um, on the weekends, and then eventually became an everyday thing. And that progressed to even heavier and heavier drugs. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of like a, like a process. Yeah. Is there, do you think, like a stereotypical process or is it pretty unique on each individual? Uh, it's individualized for each person. Like there's not just some kind of cookie cutter yeah. experience or process yeah. for, for any one individual. Like I, I can only use my own experience and experience mm-hmm. of other people that I've worked with too, but... It, what I have noticed though is that it, there is that kind of general like why getting mm-hmm. into it mm-hmm. like they say there's a couple I don't know if you guys know who Russell Brand is um, he's an actor and he's mm-hmm. an activist he's, I was like I've heard of the name <laughs> he's, he's in recovery himself too and he's a 12 step like an AA and a guy mm-hmm. um, but he something he said really like stuck out with me in particular is that weed is not a gateway drug Hmm. Um, alcohol is not a gateway drug. Nicotine is not a gateway drug. The gateway to addiction is trauma. Yes. And then not only that, it's the e like any kind of addiction, eating disorder, substances, um, sex, pornography, or whatever it is. It's just a symptom of all these other things that are going mm. on in our life. Mm-hmm. So if we focus on these other things that are going on in our life, why do we need this over here? So on a therapeutic approach, I'm assuming that that's what we focus on first is we focus on that trauma mm-hmm. and then... In, in, it, depends, it depends on the individual. It depends okay. on how heavy you are. Like we think about alcohol and benzodiazepines. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to just... In those situations, you don't want to just have them stop using mm-hmm. because that can cause death. Mm-hmm. So with alcohol we, and benzos, we have them go through a detox process. Yeah. So you start with what's going on first and then kind of go back to okay so we okay. stabilize and then go yeah. back okay but, but there's the always to a degree working on that trauma that had occurred to yeah. them at some point in their life because without that we probably can't completely work through the substance abuse itself yeah so and and, and not necessarily saying that's going to get away that like get the substance abuse completely like if people can moderate after that mm-hmm. more power to them i know i can't 
Yeah. I, I'm abstinent based and I can't do that, but there's other people out there that can't do that either. Mm-hmm. But if that's the, that's the reason, that's the underlying issue that's causing you to drink or use or anything like that, then we focus on that. Okay. okay. Interesting. So like substance, substance, oh wow, <clears throat> maybe I am. You're losing. Two down. Two down. Sorry, we gotta go. We just gotta stop. Um, so substance abuse and mental health are very connected then. Yeah, 100%. That's pretty, I, I feel like that's a common misconception. I don't think Sometimes it's like, sometimes people think it's like the chicken, what comes first, the chicken Mm -hmm. or the egg type of thing, Mm -hmm. but I mean, substance use can lead to mental health issues, but mental health issues can also lead to substance use issues because we think of any kind of, well, we think of like uppers, like Mm -hmm. Adderall, methamphetamine, stuff like that. Their dopamine is being just shot out in your body and then all of a sudden you stop using it, depletes it and you're Mm -hmm. just so low, right? So then getting back to homeostasis, whereas like... Um, alcohol, painkillers, benzodiazepines, like they're this depressant. So you, mm. people tend to be here mm-hmm. and they're using it and it's, it's getting them to even lower. So trying to get back to homeostasis mm. is difficult too. Yeah. So the big thing is, is like being able to have that, that abstinence for a longer period of time yeah. in order to kind of get back to where, like let your body heal for itself or heal itself. So... Um, talk to us about some of maybe the, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, family member, a friend who has some concern about, um, a fr- you know, about somebody in their life as to whether or not they may have a substance abuse problem. What are some of the warning signs? Some things that we could potentially watch out for. Um, I think a lot of the biggest thing that comes to my mind is isolation. Okay. Okay. Um, we tend to isolate from people that care about us and, and start to attach towards the substance more than we actually attach to the people in our lives. Okay. So if you're starting to notice people's behaviors becoming erratic um, and isolating a lot, like that's a huge symptom or a huge warning sign of like, mm-hmm. hey, something might be going on. And whether or not it's the substance in the beginning or if it's the mental health part that can mm-hmm. lead into the substance use, we think of the behaviors that lead to that too. Okay. So any kind of, anything that's causing them to act out irrationally or, or like I said, the isolation, if you notice something that's off, like don't be afraid to have that conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And if they um, deny, how do we, how do we continue to support? You just, can, you got to continue to love them. For, like, <laughs> if you know something's going yeah. on, you can't force them, yeah. right? They have to be willing to share yeah. this open and willing is a huge thing in, in recovery but if they're not ready they're not ready mm-hmm. so and, and there's another uh johan hari is uh he's actually i don't know if you guys have ever heard of bruce alexander or the study of rat park mm-hmm. so he's he's bruce alexander's okay. nephew okay and he does this ted talk that kind of changed <laughs> my perspective on a lot of things too um, but he said it's everything you know about addiction is wrong mm. oh interesting so in that, at the very end of it, he says the opposite of addiction is connection. So we think about the isolation part, right? Like they're isolating, isolating. And a lot of the times what we want to do is just shut them out of our life. Mm-hmm. When in reality, that's like one of the most detrimental things that we can do. Mm-hmm. There needs to be boundaries. Mm-hmm. But, and those boundaries are different for every, every individual and every relationship. But we have to focus on those boundaries, but show them that love and that affection that they need. 
Yeah. Because they're already beating themselves up. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we're having this internal battle inside of, like, everything that, that, that we're going through. It's like, I never wanted to be addicted. Mm-hmm. Like, and, in fact, everything of that went against all the values and beliefs that I was taught growing up. So that I'm going against everything in my own core values. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having this own guilt and shame and all this internal battle that's going on inside of my head. The last thing I would want is my family to to shut me out and that's where I'm very grateful that my family personally mm-hmm. they didn't do that they did hold a strong boundary and they called mm-hmm. the cops on me at one point mm-hmm. but and I held a resentment at that point towards my brothers but and I look at it now and I'm like they're just trying to save my life yeah so love love and compassion don't shut them out isn't it amazing that that tends to be the answer yeah. to most things in life like is that power of relationships yeah. like yes. human connection and love yeah, it could all be solved. <laughs> we all just love just each other. Just be nicer to each other. Yeah. <laughs> just give me a freaking hug. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> wow. You know, we, we had one, an individual on our podcast, though. I'm thinking of this isolation, and that was his kind of go-to response. But it was due to the fact that he he said, you know, I needed to step away from all of those people that I knew that were drinkers. Mm-hmm. And I and I kind of closed myself inside because I couldn't go to the store because I would see alcohol. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go to parties because I knew people were drinking. So that was his response was isolate so that I can prevent yeah. nope, potential that, problems. And that, so that's pretty common then. Yep. Yeah, no, that is actually because when I'm, when I'm working with people, a lot of the times there's three things that help with either diving into an addiction or recovery is people, places, and things. Mm. People being the number one thing. So if I'm going to continue to surround myself with people who are using, I'm going to use too regardless. Whether it's the first day, whether it's the thousandth day, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. I'm going to end up using. Mm -hmm. And places, places like liquor stores or Mm -hmm. places where I used to use, like those are huge triggers too, and different types of things. Things being needles, rituals, whatever it is. Mm But on the other hand, is that if I surround myself with people who have what I want, and this is where, like, I will, I will, in Narcotics Anonymous was a huge foundation for me. Yeah. Um, I lacked a lot of spirituality in my life, and it's a very spiritual-based program, mm-hmm. and that's where I found the foundation for my recovery. Um, and, and I will always promote, like, people doing... 12-step meeting mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. like that because mm-hmm. it changes the people, places, and things. Yes, you have your people now yeah. at that point. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I know, like, and, and I don't go to meetings very often anymore, but that's, again, that's the foundation. I know that if I ever need to go there, I can go there. Mm-hmm. Those are my people. And remind us, for audience members that may be unaware, how how do you find, how do you find those groups? What's um, the best way? Biggest thing that I have people do is I'll just go have them go on Google. Okay. If I'm in a session, then I'll just pull it up for them. But yeah. Yeah. I just put AA, um, AA meetings in northern Utah, like near me or whatever it is. Narcotics Anonymous meetings near me. There's also, um, if people are in the LDS faith or struggling with that and want to have like-minded people, mm-hmm. um, there's LDS ARP meetings that they have. I'm assuming they still have. I haven't looked at it in a long time. But mm. um, on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, I think. Okay. Um, in Smithville, Logan, and in Hiram, I think is what it was. So chances are there is something there is in meeting, your general proximity. There is a meeting every day, multiple times. Really? It does not Do they matter. even do like virtual options for they people do. who like might not it's, want to go out? Or? Yeah, they, they still they still have those. Um, it was a lot bigger in, during COVID, but yeah. I don't think they're as like 
widely. There's, probably, there's power in being together. Yeah, with it's that, that, that connection situation, makes the so. biggest difference. That's how they say the opposite of addiction okay. is connection. Like the face to yep, <laughs> face to face is huge because I mean, and, and that kind of goes along with my telehealth sessions that I said yeah. I would do sometimes. Is like I can't read you. Yeah. If I'm across the street, like I, I read the body and the yeah. body language to see how things are going. You only see so much. Yeah. Shoulders <laughs> yeah. So, so, for all I know, I could be fidgeting, and I yeah. don't know what yeah. you're doing. But that, <clears throat> and I'm assuming all of those groups are still provided free of charge. Yep. Anyone can be involved. Yep. yep. Okay. No, it's always free. And it's there's not a commitment, right? Where I'm like, I'm signing myself up for the next nope. six months. Just. Nope. You can go to one meeting or a thousand meetings. It doesn't matter. Okay so amazing that we still yes yeah. that they are all over the place because mm-hmm. what a amazing resource we have yeah no they're literally everywhere good in the world so i want to go back to what something that you said previously when you talked about you guys both mentioned this idea that they need to make that decision on their own that mm-hmm. that there's a problem and that we need to take some steps to move forward um you know, as a family member looking towards uh, someone that we love, knowing that there's a problem and knowing they're not quite ready. Is there anything we, I mean, besides just saying, I'll continue to love you, is there anything we can do to say, hey, like, there's all these wonderful things out there for you. I mean, We'd love for you to be involved. There's different approaches that you can take for sure. I mean, I, I like I said before, it's like, don't be afraid to ask those questions. Like, hey, are you struggling? Yeah. Like, I noticed this was going on. Like, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Mm-hmm. Like being open and not being afraid to just, they might backlash at you and realize that it has nothing to do okay. with you. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with them and the, the struggles that they're going through and, and kind of prepare for that. I mean, that's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is they say, yeah, I am struggling. Mm-hmm. And then you can sit with them and say, well, let's figure this out. Yeah. Like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. What support can I give you? Mm-hmm. And in the very end of that, he said, and Johan Hari, in the very end of his TED Talk, he says that, he's like, I will just sit with you. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, mm-hmm. if you need me to sit here, I will sit with you. Mm-hmm. And if that's all it is, if that's all it takes, then that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody's journey is different, but um, are there steps that we would want to take to, like, aid in that process? Once somebody comes to us and says... I need help, you know, continue to be in my life, continue to support me. Are there other things that we should be doing to help them through that process? I don't necessarily think anything, like any steps. I mean, I look at it from like a therapeutic perspective is like we want to take the path of least resistance. We want to like the least restrictive care. So Mm -hmm. depending on where they're at individually, like if they're like, yeah, I'm just starting to get into this, like suggest therapy or AA meetings and Mm -hmm. meetings. If they're drinking a fifth to a gallon a day, like detox is going to be the first place that you want to go, but Mm -hmm. kind of guiding them to more of like a mental health professional that can kind of help take them down that Mm -hmm. path of like, okay, we're going to assess you at this level of care. Like you just need this. Like that's kind of the approach that I would take. And clearly we're big believers in the therapeutic process here at the (laughs) family. But would you ever say that, 
taking that therapy route is unnecessary for some, or should that be a part of that process for anyone? I, I mean, I'm not just saying this to be biased because I'm a therapist. But <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody can can benefit from therapy, regardless mm -hmm. if it's once every two months to like twice a week, you know. Uh -huh. But um, I mean, yeah, sure. There's there's times where it probably wouldn't be necessary, but again, like it just kind of it's individualized to each person like and it, that kind of goes back to like they have to be open and willing to actually mm -hmm. get the help so if they want to like no i'm not going to do therapy but i'm willing to go to aa meetings mm -hmm. you jump on that okay like yeah. if i i'll go with you to aa meetings mm -hmm. like let's let's do these types of things yeah. but setting a boundary like okay if if we can't get it like are you willing to step up and step up and step up mm -hmm. but yeah getting them to therapy I have media openings, but <laughs> I mean, I'm never gonna say I'm never gonna say no. You shouldn't do therapy. That's why I'm like, all right, but let me make sure it's I, clear that we are yeah. pro. I will. I will say this too: is that it, it, they need the right therapist. Too. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The, a majority of the progress made is through the relationship with the therapist. Mm -hmm. So if they, if the individual goes in and meets with one person and they feel like hopeless mm. like don't yeah. give up mm -hmm. because there's the right therapists out there for you okay. it doesn't matter like and i look at like i'm not afraid if i don't feel the connections there i like i would think that you will work better with this therapist. Mm. like let's let's get you the help that you need with boundaries set up is there a time where we're like you know what I can't help you anymore until you can help yourself. Or do we continue to do all those things even when they're not pulling that, that yeah. weight on the other end? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't tell them like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm setting this boundary, but I mean, that's a boundary that you have to set with yourself. Like, okay, I've noticed I've reached out four different times mm -hmm. and they're not willing to do this with me. Like mm -hmm. I'm just going to wait for them. I'm not going to reach out to them anymore, but when they're ready, I will be here. Okay. Okay. Right. And then there's also, like, in those situations, too, there's Al-Anon um, meetings in the Valley. I think there's only one, and they meet once a week. But that's for the family members mm. of people struggling with addiction. They, yeah. they kind of relate the steps to that way, too. I, I could be wrong. I want to see it some Mondays at 7.30, but... You're good if you've got all these times. Okay, no, I can't remember. We, we can exactly. even look it up and attach it yeah, to the show notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can, we won't I can actually it. get it there for you, you so you can attach it in there. But awesome. it's, that's definitely a huge support because they look at it from like a 12-step base approach too. Okay. Yeah. But the idea that we're never going to completely step away from your life, but we're going to let you take the reins mm -hmm. and... You're going to make the decision when you're ready to take that step. And that's, that's the thing is... And, I, I, I talk about the 12 steps a lot because that's kind of, that's my foundation and mm -hmm. understanding like the 12 steps is not the foundation of everybody's recovery and they have to figure out what works for them. But in the first step, it says we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol or drugs and mm -hmm. that our lives had become unmanageable. So they have to be willing to make that decision, like admit, like, okay. Yeah. And that's the beginning. Yeah. That's not step six or seven. That's, like that's, no. that's it. First no. and foremost. Yep. Okay. Um, when would you suggest maybe, I mean, I'm thinking, depending on the severity of the situation you might have, 
inpatient care. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, when when do you know, like, for a family member or friend, whether they need to be in a, a treatment facility versus just therapy? Um, that's again, it's just, it depends on the individuals. Yeah. But if I look at it from my own experience, and, and I used to, I worked for Golden Steps for a while. Okay. So uh, this is something I did. Mm-hmm. for quite a bit mm-hmm. um, if they're struggling again we want to go with the least restrictive care so if IOP works intensive outpatient okay. like if that's not working then we step them up to another okay. level of care which is PHP pre, partial hospitalization pre-hospitalization whatever you'll call it yeah. um, and if that's not working then you step them up again to residential or you start with a detox level of care if they're, mm-hmm. if they're using they need kind of a social detox to get away from the outside world and stuff like that and be able to come off the substance that they're using and really focus on themselves and, and the reasons why mm-hmm. that they're using. Mm-hmm. And then you step them down after that. Okay. So there's residential, there's PHP, well, detox, residential, PHP, IOP, and then what's called GOP, which is general outpatient. Okay. And they do like a one group and then an individual session mm-hmm. every week. Now, I'm making the assumption that one of the reasons people are apprehensive about being involved in um, services is they see that big old price tag. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, how do we get past? Are, are, are there programs? Is there available help for those that say, I need that help, but I just can't afford it? Yeah, there are. It depends on the program, too. Like, I'm not... not too familiar with any like nonprofit programs around here that Mm -hmm. would allow you to do that um i do know like down towards like weaver county and salt lake county like there's nonprofit organizations that can help reduce the cost Mm -hmm. uh like odyssey house of utah they they actually put you to like work there to reduce the cost of your your like your monthly cost or whatever you want to call it um but then I also know, like, they have, Salt Lake has a, a program, too, um, that if you complete a Salt Lake City program, mm-hmm. they'll actually fund you for six months' worth of sober living wow. in a Salt Lake City, like a Salt Lake County uh-huh. sober living. Okay. So there's there's lots of resources. There's options there. available. Yeah. That shouldn't be the deterrent for not. Yeah. Yes. And, and here, um, and I'm, I don't want to say I'm biased to Golden Steps, I'm kind of biased to Golden Steps. It's <laughs> alright to say it. I love the place, but I also love the other the facilities around here too. Like Again, it kind of goes back, they're, they're an abstinence-based program, and that's uh-huh. what aligns with me, obviously. Uh-huh. But again, like everybody's recovery is different. Yeah. So it depends on like what what best fits your needs. The clear recovery can be a good option for other mm-hmm. people. Renaissance Ranch can be an option. Day Springs, Bear River, like mm-hmm. there's there's tons of places mm-hmm. around here that like and I will help them find whatever works best for them. But like, you might I be like finding a therapist kind of just depends yeah. on the person. Like, yeah. They might connect with someone. Yep. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Um I hope I'm in the right place to ask this question because it is a personal question for you i'm 100 (laughs) an open book but i'd love to hear one of the things that we often talk about in our interviews is what personally helped you through your your struggle or your trial so for you personally having experience with Mm -hmm. this are there certain things that as you look back 
were were the factors that helped you through your recovery? Um, one was getting arrested. Um, so, like a little bit about me, my record goes back to when I was 18. I'm 40 now. Um, and I was a five-time felon. Um, but through that experience is kind of what led me to do what I want to do is like take my own trials and my traumas and mm-hmm. everything that I've been able to overcome and help other people overcome their own. Yeah. Um, but a, a big thing for me personally, like getting arrested was one because there's a program here called Drug Court. Um, okay. They call it Recovery Court now, but I'll always call it Drug Court. <laughs> um, and it really gave me what I needed. Like I sought it out because it, it dismisses your charges. But, and I, I looked at it in kind of a selfish way when I first got on because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a felon. Um, but through that, it gave me the structure and the tools that I needed personally to help kind of grow. Accountability was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I could not have asked for a better judge. Shout out to Judge Wilmar. He's retired now. But mm-hmm. um, that man was everything that I needed and, and kind of, he doesn't know this. Um, not afraid to say it on here either, but. Again, like I lost my dad when I was 12 mm-hmm. and I always sought a father figure and that's kind of what I felt mm. like my father would have mm-hmm. been like. Yes. So that really helped me um, knowing that when I got up there in front of him, if I did something wrong, like I would feel a disappointment. It would motivate me to get up there to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not only that, like my family was huge. Um, I, I did anything and everything to push them away. Mm-hmm. And they were like gnats and would not leave me alone. <laughs> and I'm very, yeah, pesky little thing. Um, I've never heard it described that way, but I love it. Yes. I love <laughs> no, I, I, I'm very grateful, eternally grateful for them because they're my best friends. Yeah. Um, they gave me that love and support that I needed, even though sometimes it wasn't the right kind, but regardless, they never left. Mm-hmm. So I, that's kind of what I needed in my own mm-hmm. was that that connection to my family um, and then and that structure and I mean since then I've been able to have my record expunged and go like I said I went back and got my master's degree and an LCS too and, and I'm sure having lived what you have lived being able, I mean you you're able to put in that personal approach mm-hmm. like you said not only can you say therapeutically this will help but I've lived this life yeah. too. No, and, and that's, so... that goes back to like finding that right therapist too. It's like, I'm passionate. I'm very passionate about substance use because I know, like, I can't say I know exactly what they're going through, but I've been through the mm-hmm. hell that they've part been of who through. You are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and been able to come out on the other side, there was something that, um, someone like a story that someone once told me is like, there's a guy that fell into a hole and, Someone, he like, he was screaming out, asking for someone to come help him. And someone walked past, and he's like, hey, like, what can I do to help? He's like, I don't know. He's like, well, let me go get someone else. And he never came back. Mm. And so someone else came by and was like, well, what can I give you? Can I give you a ladder or something like that? So he dropped a ladder in there, and the ladder was too small. So then another guy stepped, came by, and he's like, how can I help you? He's like, I just need help getting out of this hole. Mm-hmm. So he jumped into the hole with him. And mm. he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, now we're both stuck down here. He's like, no, I've been in this spot before and I know how to get out. So I'm here mm. to help you get out. So that's kind of like the approach that I like to take yeah. when I'm working with people for sure. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, looking at the long term, if somebody in recovery 
And uh, I mean, when it comes to an addiction, I'm assuming this is something that, that they have to be vigilant with for the mm-hmm. remainder of their life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what does the long-term recovery look like for most people? What do they need to continue to, to do or, or not do? Um, continue to change behaviors for sure. I look at it like I just hit July was my, my 10-year clean mark. And I, the thing is, is like at 10 years compared to 24 hours, mm-hmm. it's, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. So we take it one day at a time. Like I look at it now and I'm like, holy crap, like the last 10 years of my life, have been completely different than the 14 yeah. years before then. Yeah. But as far as like longevity, we know that if you can hit a year clean, don't quote me on this exactly, but roughly the chances of long-term recovery hit about, like increase about 70%. Wow. Just to get to that a year mark. clean, yeah. Wow. And then uh, something I always teach people is it's called the rule of 2190. So 21 days creates a habit, mm-hmm. 90 days creates a lifestyle. So if you can continuously hit that, I always tell people, give me 90 days. Yes. You give me 90 days and let's see where you're at. 90 authentic days of working this and let's see where you're at. Not just mediocre (laughs) work, but yes, putting that best. So those milestones, that 90 day milestone to me is a huge one and so is that year. Because if we can start to create a different lifestyle, then we get away from all that stuff that we were hanging on to that was kind of like dragging us down a little mm-hmm. bit. So what can we do as like either friends or families while they're in that process of trying to get to, you know, a year mark or a 10 year or 50, you know, what can we do to help in that road of recovery? Um, one thing like it, this is where some kind of boundaries come into play too. But like I refer to it as like an attaboy. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're doing great. Right. Like validating when they're doing good, mm-hmm. but making sure this is the boundary is like making sure you're not validating when they're not. Mm. Okay. Cause we don't want them to kind of like slip back into those old behaviors, but validating them in the times like, Hey, you're doing okay. If they mess up, you're like, okay, like what do we need to do to move forward from this? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I try to teach people the difference between a lapse and a relapse. Mm-hmm. A lapse is a, a lapse in judgment. So we have like a one-time little slip up, but we can learn from that and we can move forward from that. Mm-hmm. A relapse is that we continually do it over and over and over mm-hmm. and over again. So a lot of the times we hit that lapse and we feel discouraged and self-destructive and, yeah. and have those kind of thoughts. When in reality, if we catch ourselves in a moment, if we have great support, then mm-hmm. we have someone there to help us with that. Okay, what did we learn from it? Mm-hmm. What did you do right? What did you do wrong? What can we do better? Okay, let's go. Let's keep moving mm. forward. Because they're already disappointed enough in themselves. Yeah. They don't need somebody to make them feel yep. worse. I always tell so. people, nobody can beat me up more than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. I love that. Um, yeah, okay. I am loving this. And I probably disregarded every of your yeah. additional questions I, I gave you. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> But as we, yes, I tend to do that. Mm-hmm. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you need me to print them <laughs> But let me just kind of, as we kind of wrap up our time trial, any last closing advice that you would offer mm-hmm. on behalf of somebody involved in some just substance abuse, addiction, or somebody on the outside? Any final thoughts you would share? Um, for both sides is don't give up hope. To, to the suffering addicts who's out there right now, like, don't give up hope. Um, understand, like, there might be some fear that's involved of getting clean, 
And I can promise you that on the other side, it's so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a saying too, then I kind of, I, I like to go along with this saying is that I used to be a dopeless or no, a hopeless dope fiend and now mm. I'm a dopeless hope fiend. <laughs> so staying, staying on, like hanging on to that hope. And same goes with the people who are out there who, who are having yeah. a loved one. Is like, there is hope. Mm-hmm. Like, do not give up hope. Just continue to love them. Don't enable them. Mm-hmm. Finding that balance and, and that boundary of, like, showing love and not enabling them. Mm-hmm. But don't give up hope. Would you suggest that for a family member who has a friend involved in an addiction... Should we be seeking out therapy for ourselves outside of maybe absolutely. those support groups? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, w- I would say get into a therapist and start going through your own stuff. Because one thing that we know I teach and we know about trauma is the definition of trauma is a deeply disturbing or distressing experience. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty subjective. Yeah. Because what's traumatic for you isn't necessarily traumatic for me. But watching a loved one go through this self-destructive cycle, that's yes, trauma. That's trauma. Uh-huh. So being able to work through that trauma on your own as they're going through their own thing too. Okay. So I say everybody can yes. benefit like from therapy. therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so remind us as we close up shop for today, mm-hmm. what, what is your um, agency you're involved in? Aura Counseling. Aura Counseling. Yep. Numbers 435-279-60. Three, six. I was like, that's the true question. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm at their north office, but we do have a lot of new therapists there right now. So there's openings for perfect. a lot of different, like, perfect. very diverse set of clinicians, like mm-hmm. I said. Fantastic. If you have any other like resources that you want to share, we can definitely put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, I will. I'll give you these two, um, the Russell Brand and Johan Hari that I, yeah. I talked yeah. about. And there's another one too on trauma that refers to like aces. Oh yes, um, yes. I'm sure, you guys are familiar mm-hmm. with aces. So there's, <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily have to uh, deal with like substance use, but understanding like helping other people understand mm-hmm. what these aces are. So, so powerful to know yeah. that. Yes. Well, Kyle, we appreciate you so much for yes. being here and for what you do for our community. Like, Thank what you. a fantastic <laughs> resource we have to offer for the people in our valley. So thank you for taking the time to share this information with us, um, information that we all need to know. So we appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners, as usual, for being here and for tuning in. And we hope to continue to uh, have have you involved and and listen in the weeks and months and years to come. So thank you, Alyssa, for being here. Thank you. Maybe I'll be back. Maybe I won't. We, we don't know. Well, if Chef gets a voice, she'll be back. If not, we'll see this cute lady She again. has her voice. <laughs> Thanks all for being here. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Parents Place podcast. If you would like to reach us, you can at parents at thefamilyplaceutah.org or you can reach Jen on Facebook, Jen Daily The Family Place. Please check out our show notes for any additional information. Our website is thefamilyplaceutah.org if you're interested in any of our upcoming virtual classes. We'd love to see you there.